Hey, this is Jason Overcome Redmond. Thanks for tuning in to the JR Overcome Show. If you love this show, we would love for you to do us a huge favor. Go to iTunes, subscribe, leave a five-star review, leave a comment, and share with your friends. Everybody wants to be on top of the mountain. The problem nowadays is people want to get dropped off at the top of the hill and look down. It's that I overcome mindset that makes all the difference. See, the way we're taught is you're going to claw, you're going to scratch, you're going to bite, you're going to dig, you're going to do whatever it takes to get to the top of that mountain. That unequivocally is how I have managed to keep myself moving forward and finding success. Two seals, one mission. The JR Overcome Show. And welcome back to the JR Overcome Show. Man, it is incredible to believe it is episode 15. And uh, I don't know if you guys can hear this, but I. Do you hear that? Do you hear that? That's called silence. I don't know. We're missing something today. Uh, Ryan, I, I, what is wrong? Ray's not here. What? 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 I know. It's, it's, dude, it's, uh... I, Yes. I'm not too happy about this. Ladies to be and gentlemen, I am I'm sad to say that my man, my teammate, the mad pisser, huh. Ray, naked care bear care, yep. is not with us today. Unfortunately, Ray was out. Uh he was he's got some work, and unfortunately, he is not in an area with cell phone co- or with uh Wi-Fi coverage. So we were unable to get Ray on today. It is lofty, lofty, big. Uh, Care Bear Conquer shoes that I have to fill, but I will be stepping up and uh, it's going to be an amazing show anyway. So Ray, wherever you are, I know that everybody listening to this show, we love you. We miss you. We miss your banter. Most of all, we miss, uh, you know, you stopping in the middle of a show to piss into a bottle to keep everybody on their toes. So so I'm the naked one today. So Ryan, our amazing, illustrious, <laughs> incredible, technological genius producer, will be chiming in to help me out on the show today. But this is going to be an amazing show. Like I said, I want to thank everybody out there who's been tuning into the show. We've been getting a lot of good feedback. You guys have been reaching out to me on Twitter. You've been reaching out to me on Instagram. And we've had a couple of people reach out to me through email and just say, hey, man, we love the show. It's motivating me. It's making a difference in my life. That is what this show is all about. So I would just say thank you, thank you, thank you. Please spread the word. We're going to continue to grow the show. So we're on episode 15. And last show, we had an amazing show. Ray and I going back and forth on change. I know a lot of you really like that show. Today, we're going to talk about the word of the day is resilience. And I'm going to get into that with our amazing guest. You guys are going to love this guest. Uh, As always, we try and bring on amazing people with amazing stories who can motivate and inspire you. So kick things off, I guess I'll jump right into uh, some of the things that I have going on, current highlights. I I will be heading out of town tomorrow, heading up to Washington. I'm going to be speaking to the Grant County Sheriff's Department. I'm excited about that. And uh, I just launched my brand new group coaching program, the Overcome Army. So any of you out there who looking are looking to get involved with a group of individuals who are hungry, driven for success, motivated for change, and they're looking for some coaching to work with me, a retired Navy SEAL, and many of the lessons that I've learned You can check out my website under the consulting page for the Overcome Army. It is a great program, only $99 a month, less than $3 a day to get some great content on how to overcome and how to lead yourself to success. So 
that is the biggest thing I got. Oh, and Ryan, I, I turned my book in. You turned your book in. I turned the new book in. I got Ooh. the manuscript turned in. And uh, I, I'm really, really excited about this book. Overcome is a phenomenal book all about how we lead ourselves through failure, crisis, adversity, through the life ambushes that I talk about. Not only how to survive a life ambush, and, and I walk through steps on how you can navigate your way through it, but then how we lead ourselves and build that relentless overcome mindset, build structure and discipline in your life so you are prepared for future life ambushes. So yeah, man, I got that turned in and I'm, I'm, I'm really excited. So December, that'll come out. A more refined J. That's right. I am stepping up to the higher levels. Um, Very good. You know, I drink Dos Equis now. Amen. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, and then I got another piece of pretty interesting information uh, yesterday. This is pretty hilarious, actually. So for years, uh, you know, the Trident, my original book has done very well. But I've always been a little bummed out because I really wanted to hit the New York Times bestsellers list. And in the beginning, it came so close. Month by month, we would be right there. And I, we missed it. And I was so bummed out. So I was talking to the editor for the new book, Overcome, yesterday. And she had written on there as we're doing you know, all the marketing stuff, getting ready. And she, had wrote, she wrote New York Times bestselling author. And I corrected her. I said, hey, Jamie, I really appreciate that. Um, but you know, I, I don't think I ever hit it. We were really close. And she like sends me an email like 10 minutes later and she goes, no, Jay, actually you did hit it on this date in 2014. So yeah, I mean, I I don't, you know, so to my agent, uh, thank you for not letting me know. Five years later, I find out I made the New York Times bestsellers list. So So what uh, are we doing tonight? We going out? Dude, we are celebrating. I am a New York Times bestselling (laughs) author five years later. Who knew? So Anyways, that's my goal. Because of this, we are going to be running a special on the Trident for everybody out there. So I'm going to be posting that here shortly. Without further ado, I want to jump into this show because that word, resilience, is such an amazing word. And the individual we have, our guest today, is an an incredible man. I got to tell you. Um, I don't want to hold too much against him for the fact that he is army. I don't know what it is with us Navy guys. We always end up heading, hanging out with these army guys, but he was with the uh, amazing and legendary U.S. Army 10th Mountain Division, leading troops in Afghanistan. He was a team leader. He saw some pretty heavy combat and uh, actually was involved in two pretty major IED explosions that rang his bell, injured him. He is a Purple Heart recipient. And now he is out there truly, truly making a difference all around the world and uh, just getting out there and spreading his message of leadership, resiliency, teaching people how to be tough uh, and teaching people how they can lead themselves. So I'm not going to get too much into the details on what happened to him. I'm going to let him talk to you about that. But Mr. Brian Fleming, an amazing individual out there helping audiences to understand how to win under pressure in high-risk, time-sensitive situations, which so many of us are put into, whether you are in business, whether you're in life, whether you're driving forward, whether you're with a family, all these things make a difference. And Brian is out there developing amazing, resilient leaders and helping companies develop those resilient cultures. He is the author of three books, Redeployed, Never the Same, and he just came out with a, uh, a brand new uh, book that I think we're going to talk about at the end, The Resilience Booklet, and he has been featured in a documentary called 
in the red chair. So it is my great honor to introduce one of my green brethren and a fellow slow mover, Mr. Brian Fleming, blown up guy himself. Welcome to the JR Overcome Show. Hey, thanks, man. You know, all the slow movers, we got to stick together. Yeah, exactly, man, because... <laughs> I mean, not not anybody can just have an enemy marksmanship badge. It's for the exceptionally slow ones. Wrong place, wrong time, still kicking. Exactly. Although I will say that Tyler Southern, big shout out to Tyler. Tyler always gives me grief when I call guys that survive bomb blasts slow movers because he's like, <laughs> dude, you act like we could outrun a bomb. <laughs> it's in, like within a vicinity kind of thing. Yeah, well, like like, <laughs> like, there's some sort of logic to me saying that I got shot by bullets and I'm a slow mover. Like I could outrun bullets or something. Yeah. But uh, I don't know. Those Navy SEALs can do pretty incredible things. I, I saw that Charlie Sheen movie back in the 90s. Listen, listen. I got I got tiger's blood running through my veins and I'm winning. Okay, winning. That's right. That's right. So didn't Charlie Sheen jump off a bridge locally here in Virginia Beach? He did. It's the Compostela Bridge. Yeah. I used to live right by it, man. And uh, and and here's a little interesting fact. Now I don't know if this is well a rumor. I I do believe it's true. I had heard, and we'll have to look this up, that the stuntman that did that scene broke his back Ooh. when he landed in the water jumping out of that yeah, jeep. Look it up. Uh, he hurt himself. But, uh, but yeah, movie Navy SEALs filmed right there by my old house. So, but we're not talking about Navy SEALs today. We are talking about the green machine, the United States Army and Mr. Brian Fleming, who was out there making a difference. Brian, what I want to talk about first is what we always do, talking about the word of the day. And I know this is your theme. This is what you speak on to audiences all over the country and the world is resilience. And resilience is such a big word. It's one of the things that I live by. I talk about the overcome mindset and the overcome mindset is about that critical key word. So normally Ray would be here to read the dictionary for us and crush it like he always does. But today I will, I will have to do it. I will have to take the honor. So I, should I put on my best Ray cash care voice or should I just, I don't even think I can do that. I think that would be a disservice to Ray. Just keep your clothes on. Yeah. Well, you know, I don't want to scare anybody. Wait, wait, <laughs> Brian just got excited. No, no, seriously, dude. I'm not taking not my great. clothes off. I'm not taking not my clothes great. off. So, all right. So the definition of resilience, resilience is a noun and is the capacity to recover quickly from difficulties or toughness. And another definition is the ability of a substance or object to spring back into shape or elasticity. And I, and I like both those definitions because they truly describe people that have been through uh, some really hard things in life. And Brian, I know you and I, before the show, we're talking a little bit about this. And I want to get into this discussion of resilience and where we are as a country, because in my book, Overcome, I talk about that I feel like we're on a downward slide as far as grit and, and resiliency in this nation. I feel like the average American that's growing up doesn't have as much grit and resilience as they did maybe 50 or 100 years ago. And I know that that's you and our mission to get out there and help build that. What do you think about that? Do you think that my assessment is accurate? I, I think it is. Um, you know, the important thing to, to look at also is, um, you know, with that definition of resilience, I, I don't think it's just the ability to bounce back from difficulty, but it's also the willingness to fight forward through it while you're in it. Because if you think about it, nobody really wants to be resilient. Because if you're having to be resilient, you're in a situation that really sucks. 
And nobody really likes that. However, you can only develop grit. You can only become tough. You can only become stronger and push through when you've had things come into your life that beat the hell out of you. And then you somehow make it through and push through and you keep going. You, you can't, uh, you know, you can't borrow thick skin. You have to develop your own. And uh, that only comes through really, really tough circumstances. And so while I don't wish tough times on anybody in particular in any particular way, I do wish it on people, uh, including myself, uh, to some extent, as crazy as that sounds, because I know that the longer you go without opposition, the longer you go without a battle to fight, the more uh, stale and uh, complacent life becomes. You start to lose your sense of mission. You know, people start to drink. They start popping pills. Uh, they become depressed. Everything, your family goes down. Everything seems to spiral when people don't have a battle to fight or, uh, or have to be resilient for a cause that they believe is worthwhile and worth fighting for. And so to answer your question in America, right now, I mean, there's a bunch, I mean, we're raising a bunch of sissies, Jay. I mean, like in a lot of ways, this isn't everybody, but when you look in the media, Boom. there's a lot hang of on, people. Hang on, I got to drop my mic. Wait, this okay. mic's connected. I can't drop. Ryan, Dad, why didn't you don't bolt drop my microphone mic. down? Please don't drop that okay. mic. Okay, sorry, Brian, go right ahead. <laughs> well, I mean, everywhere you look, it's like, you know, oh, in, in school, they can't play dodgeball anymore, or they're playing with these little soft, squishy nerf balls you know i used to play we used to play dodgeball with kickballs you know like it bounces off a kid's head and knocks you completely on the ground like that's how we grew up and i'm not saying you know that can't cause a head injury or anything like that but if the kid falls off the monkey bars at the at the playground that isn't grounds for removing the monkey bars from the playground if you I mean, can you dodge only... if you can dodge a wrench <laughs> you can dodge a ball and the famous <laughs> words of the epic and legendary Patches of Hulahan, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> but like that that's the thing. Like we, we gotta draw a line somewhere and go, okay, that's just stupid. And go, okay, on this side, yeah, you can get hurt. Yeah, I mean, I joined Army Infantry in 03 during a time of war. We were in Afghanistan. I knew what I was getting into. And I accepted full responsibility for that. And anything that could happen and did happen, uh, you know, I owned it. And because I owned my piece of it, not that I was responsible for everything that happened to me. I own my piece of it. And because of that, that allowed me to have the power to dictate what I did afterwards. If I only blame the suicide bomber for exploding three feet away from me in Kandahar, which just about killed me, uh, if I only blamed him, he would have had all the power in how my life turned out. But because I owned it, people would say, do you blame the suicide bomber? I blame him for his part. But I also accept and own my part. Like, I put myself in a position where I might roll up next to a guy like that unknowingly. And, you know, I'm a better guy today because all oh, the tough things I've been through, though I hope to never go through it again, and I wouldn't wish it on anyone. I, I agree 100%, man. I mean, you know, when I got wounded, I accepted it was just part of the job. And, uh, and it was a part of the job that sucked. I'll be honest. I never, yeah. you know, I always yeah. thought I'd be killed or I'd, you know, have the old Monty Python, I'm merely a flesh wound. But, uh, you know, obviously you and I didn't get those, uh, and that's okay. I mean, I accepted it. And, and like you said, it makes, it makes you better. It makes you harder. You know, one of the things that I, I, I don't want to, I, I do agree that, that right now we are, we are growing up, um, 
softer individuals. And I don't want to point fingers. If you're if you're someone that's younger right now and you're listening to this show and you're getting offended, you know, one thing about whenever we get offended or we're uncomfortable, you need to take a look inside. Jocko actually talks about this and I really liked it. He talked about how you know, when when he felt negatively towards something or he felt uncomfortable towards something, he would look inward and say, what's making me feel that way? So the question is, if you're offended by Brian's comment that says, you know, we're growing up a bunch of sissies, do you resemble that remark? Or are you the opposite of that remark? I mean, that's one of the well, things. And, you're, and let me let me clarify with that. I meet a lot of millennials who are smart and they're strong and they're tough. They're resilient people. I mean, you know, we can't classify an entire generation with one category but here's here's the problem i see like a lot of that stuff that they're growing up and i don't actually blame them for uh, whenever somebody complains about millennials for example i just say well i look at them and say well who raised them and it's usually the older person i'm looking at talking to and so like a lot of this this younger generation they have the grit they're in the beginning stage like you are you are when you got through buds jay you had a lot of grit before you went in, but I guarantee you had a whole heck of a lot more grit when you came out. So a lot of this younger generation, they have the grit. It's in there. The potential's in there. It's all there. But a lot of our society is stealing it from them because it doesn't give them an opportunity to bring it out and to develop it. And so what I meant by, you know, sissies growing up, it's like, yeah, as a society, like the big way I meant that is we're not giving them enough chances to get hurt and to fail and to develop their strength and their grit because they definitely got it. Every generation's got it. Well, I, I agree. But uh, at the same time, I do think that, I mean, you just look at the evolution of our country and, and you yeah. look at the very beginning. I mean, America has always been this, this, gritty, resilient, tenacious nation from the very beginning. Yeah. I mean, the, 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 the foundations of this country were built on individuals traveling across the ocean to come here and basically make their way. So whether they traveled across the country and they built themselves a farm or whether they went straight into the cities and they were working in some hardcore factory, you know, really hardcore labor, we were workers and we worked hard and gritty and resilient. And, and if you, yeah. so for the first 150 years of our country, country, that's what it was built upon. And then we got into the industrial age and, and, you know, we started getting into machines and stuff like that. And I think that there weren't that, that hard backbreaking work started to go away. What that backbreaking work built was a strong, resilient, overcome mindset. Fast forward yeah. to today for the last 50 years, you know, we we're we're in the technological boom. So uh, we live in this world where computers and phones and, you know, all this stuff, automated stuff, makes life a lot easier. It also yeah. uh, stops us from going outside and doing some of that hard work. So some of it is a sign of the times, although we're going to have to do something because if we fast forward another hundred years, what's going to happen? Are we going to have people living in boxes and living the world out in a virtual world like you see in the movies? Uh, my big fear strategically when we talk about resilience is if I was some large nation that was like, I really hate America. I'm going to just going to wait another 150 years till they're so soft that when I attack them, they're just going to fold like lawn chairs. I, yeah. I mean that, you know, when people are like, Oh, Jay, you're such, you know, you're, you exaggerate. I, I hate to tell you that is long-term strategy for some people. Yeah. Well, not only that, that's a mental thing too. I mean, if you look at even world war II during Nazi Germany, there were people who were against what Hitler was doing. But it, there was such a norm in the way things were done, nobody really said anything. 
And there was this complacency. And that's another danger that comes with exactly what you're saying. A absolutely. And, and in some ways, depending on what you believe, uh, you know, we, we don't get into politics on this show. But, you know, there are some people that are just sitting by and, you know, they're just like they don't want to be involved. But resilience is being able to articulate, I disagree with something in a respectful way, but also being willing to fight for it if it moves past that point. I think we're going down this weird road right now where people, we're, we're basically telling people, if you hear something that makes you uncomfortable, you shouldn't have to do it. If you don't like doing something, you should quit. If somebody, uh, if somebody says something to you or they're wearing something that's offensive to you, you shouldn't have to be exposed to it. That's what we're seeing in a lot of the schools and even universities and even on the streets. And yeah, I just, ridiculous. It, it is. And I, I agree with it a thousand percent. I mean, I, I, you and I have both seen things all over the world that I don't agree with. There are parts of foreign cultures that I don't agree yeah. with the way they do things, but that's oh, yeah. the way they do things. And I still have to be respectful in how I dealt with them and how I interacted with them, even though I didn't agree with them. We need to bring that back in this country. That's part of resilience, our ability to take in information that we don't agree with and still be able to operate. Yeah, and it's a, it's a, it's a two-way street. Uh, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's the whole tolerance thing, you know, oh, but only if you agree with my way of doing it, which that isn't actually tolerance. You know, we can disagree with people on certain things, but like you said, respectful conversation, you'd be surprised about how much of that actually does take place that none of us hear about because the news won't report on it. I was about but, to say uh, the same. Yeah. It's the media. I mean, the media. Don't look at it. And not you trying know, to be the, political, but it's the media. The media is programming media. these people that were at edge with each other. And I just don't necessarily think that's the case. It's not. I mean, there are some who are very sensational and the media definitely preys on that sensational news. But yeah. that's why I like the second part of the definition we talked about, elasticity. And I think resilience, it, it, there is a part of that where your mind is able to absorb information. Brian, you could present something to me, you know, talking about how great the army is. And I would disagree with you a thousand percent. I know the army sucks and the Navy is the greatest <laughs> armed force in the history of the world you sound like you're in the marine corps <laughs> <laughs> at least that's what they all tell me until i get in a shooting competition <laughs> with them and blow them all away <laughs> you know i know a lot of marines who would be like bring it on fleming dude i i always shot a whole platoon last time i did that but i'll just leave that right there uh, well, i think the gauntlet <laughs> has been thrown down we're going to have to set up the Let's blown up guy it. the shooting competition but I, I mean at the end of the day i mean it, it is playful banter but there is there are views that I disagree with. There are some things yeah. that are out there I 100% disagree with. I, I have people, and I, I want to be careful because I want to stay away from politics. I'll just say that that a, a, a former leader, uh, I have some friends that totally disagree with some of the decisions this former leader made. And, and they used to say things to me like how nefarious this person was. And I was like, you know what, man, I don't agree with that. That person believes that what they're doing is good. Now, it may not be in alignment with what you're doing, but they believe that what they're doing, nobody, very rarely, except for maybe al-Qaeda terrorists who wake up and say, we want to sow evil to accomplish what we're doing. But even they believe in their cause. And, and in some ways, you know, you have to take a step back and respect that. Because, you know, for us, that's what we were fighting against. And you had to understand their motivation and why do they believe the way that they do? That is part of the resilient thinking. Yeah. And I think it's the ability 
to draw a line in the sand on certain issues in every aspect of life. I know I've heard so many times I've heard this phrase, violence is never the answer. Now, here's what I'll say about that. Violence in any I disagree. case should, well, <laughs> violence in any case should be the absolute last resort for obvious reasons. But there is a place in life and human existence where you've got to draw a line in the sand. And if it gets crossed, you enforce it with consequences every time. And when you don't, we all know what happens. I mean, I hear people say we never should have been in Afghanistan, all this stuff. But if you just let your enemies attack you, it's like the bully on the playground. You know, it's the bully on the playground. The playground. He'll never stop doing what he does until he gets knocked on the ground. You know, and and sometimes you know that harsh reality is the only answer. But if it can be handled differently, by all means, try every way possible. But there is a time when you've got to drop a hammer on certain people and certain issues. Yeah, absolutely, because there are some people out there who are so set. I mean, the, the zealots. I mean, they are zealots in oh, their beliefs. You're never exactly. You're never going to change I mean, their if views. If they can fly planes into our buildings, they'll do it. Yep. And, and and those are the individuals, and that's not all, putting the bullet in their head. Yeah. That, that's not all of them. I mean, one of the things that we saw over there is, you know, maybe 10, 20 percent were the diehards. They were the yeah. diehards who would fight to the death. They would do anything to take you out. And for them, you know, the only answer was violence. It was lead medicine. Yeah. And uh, and there were others who, you know, they got pulled into this momentum, this belief system. But when you laid out facts and you said, listen, man, that's not really the way the world works. Let me show you. You've been fed a, a line of BS. And oftentimes when you could pull the, you know, when, when you could, you know, pull the curtain back and show them the man behind the curtain, uh, they would say, wow, I, I never knew that. I believe differently. And I think that's where education is key. But I agree, man. There are some people where, uh, you know, Ryan, lead medicine. That's the answer. Lead medicine. So... <laughs> All right. Well, listen, we, uh, I think that was a great discussion. Ryan, do you have anything to offer? Would you like to uh, weigh in on resilience as we close this conversation? Not really. <laughs> Ryan is incredibly resilient behind these computers and audio equipment to make us sound so good. You know, if I, if I can say something too, because I know a lot of people listening to this probably were not military. And I know I get a lot of people look at guys like you and I, you know, and and hold us up on this resilience pedestal and a lot of things. Um, I just want to really make the, the comment to anyone listening that even though Jay got shot up, even though I got blown up, my vehicle did those couple of times that injured me, everybody gets blown up in life. And a lot of people will say, well, I didn't go through the same thing you did. Therefore you can't understand me or help me. Um, but people really don't really on only what they went through. But we all deal with the same handful of issues uh, as a result of what we go through. There are a lot of people who grew up in an abusive household that will deal with a lot of the same post-traumatic stress issues as a service member coming home from Iraq or Afghanistan. And so I always put it this way. When we were on the ground in Afghanistan, if we, need air, if we needed air support, we were never too good to say, hey, uh, we need those A-10s, but we don't want them to think we can't handle this. So let's just not call them in like no idiot leader in his right mind would make that decision. So if you're in enemy territory in your life, if you're dealing with an issue, a trauma, a death, whatever it is in your life, um, your friends, your family, the ones you can trust, those are your close air support. Those are your A-10 pilots that can come in. And the thing about them is they have a different kind of firepower than you do. And one of the biggest advantages 
is that because they're not in your boots, they have a different perspective flying above your battlefield that you do not have. And because they're not in your perspective, in your boots, on your battlefield, they can see things that you can't, that can actually be the key to you getting out of that thing alive. So if you've ever had that thing where I don't want to talk to anyone, they haven't been there, they don't know, like throw that crap out the window. Take advice from anyone you can, but be selective on which one, which advice you use. But just realize other people have a different perspective, uh, just like the close air support does on a battlefield. That can be helpful. Yeah, you're spot on, brother. I mean, I talk about the life ambushes. You and I, it was combat, but all of us walk through the battlefield of life. And as human beings, man, struggle is part of what we go through. And whether they were bullets or bombs or whether it is sexual trauma, whether it is just a devastating, it is a divorce, it is life-threatening illness or injury, or maybe it's a business failure, the pain, the emotional pain we feel is the same no matter what. And those are the things that put us on the X of the ambush where we're stuck, that life ambush. And, and Brian, I love it, man. I'm the same way. I tell people you've got to build that team. And, uh, and it is the resilience that will help you, but it is the others around you that are going to enable you to get off of it. We, we've talked about that. It's similar to a storm. When you're in the middle of a storm and there are clouds all around you and the thunder is booming and the lightning's crashing into you, literally you could take one step to the right and you would be out of the storm you'd be out of the rain and somebody else outside your circle be, could be standing next to you and they're saying dude brian all you need to do is step back bro but when you're in the middle of the storm you can't hear that you're just you're immersed in the chaos and the hell so yeah yeah it is the same but uh the resiliency will make a difference find those people and uh let's drive forward so hey well listen we i think that was an awesome topic i think that was an awesome discussion but let's get into mr brian fleming how did you build these ideas what happened to you who is brian fleming well i've been called a lot of things but uh, <laughs> oh, I know, but I don't. I normally don't like to say that on the air uh, on no, the show. There's kids yeah, exactly. <laughs> Hopefully, no. I mean, you know, I joined the army as infantry straight out of high school. Like I said, um, as infantry, went to Afghanistan with the 10th Mountain Division. Uh, those two explosions. One was an IED that my my vehicle ran over. I actually walked away from that one unharmed. Uh, I had to drag one of my guys out. Uh, he was catching on fire. Both the guys injured survived and return to duty about a month let, later. Let, let's take a step back, man. I want, you sure. know, we, we have a lot of people that are not military and you're glossing okay. over some major things here. I probably am. Yeah. You know, because people are interested with this. People are fascinated with the military. And, and for those who haven't been in the military, they're like, man, what would make you go join the military during war? I mean, you know, you could be killed. And, and so one, what was the motivation for you to do that? What drove you? And then two, I want to come back to that very first IED. I mean, that's a major thing. You had a bomb blow up and there were obviously people that were injured. You had to drag one of your teammates who was on fire and help him. You know, th those are incredible moments in life. And uh, for someone, you know, there are a lot of people out there that they, they would tell themselves right now, I could never do that. I would run the other way. And some people would. And there are others who say to themselves, I would never do that. But then they can. I think you'd be surprised at how you'll respond when you have to. But there's really no way to say what you do, I think, until you're literally in that moment. Um, I, I think it's hard to, for anybody. Um, I've known a lot of tough guys uh, who ran out when you think they'd stay. And the guy you thought would wuss out like he was a freaking hero. <laughs> and so 
yeah, I mean, you know, that's, the motivation. That's so nice of you to talk about me like that, man. I appreciate <laughs> that. So, so what made you join, man? What drove you to be a part of the army during war? What motivated you to do that? Well, you know, nine eleven took place when I was in tenth grade and second period Spanish class at about ten thirty in the morning down in Hollywood, Florida, in South Florida, and uh, you know, I, I knew we were going to war at that point. And the coming months, things developed, and I knew. I've been around to some different countries in my time um, in those 17 years or so, 16 years. And I knew that America was definitely an exception in a lot of ways. Not every place in America or in the world is like America. And there was a couple of things. One, I felt it was my part to do for at least a couple of years. I just, I had this inborn feeling that there's an obligation to at least do my part because I get to live here. And the second thing was I really I really never wanted someone to be able to say, Brian, you enjoy this great country because better people than you like died for it. Like you didn't do anything to deserve this. Like I was born here. I didn't deserve that. I just was. But it's like it's something in me felt like if I'm going to have something good, I need to earn it. And that and I have friends whose uh, family members were in the Twin Towers, for example, um, when they went down. And even though I didn't know those people, it's like, those are my family. You know, those are, you know, I mean, my friend's family, which is, um, we're all in this together. And, uh, you know, it wasn't an attack against a race or a religion. It was, I mean, so many different people from the whole world were in those towers of every color and ethnic background. Um, and I know that when you, like I said, I know when you don't fight back against a bully, he keeps coming back. And so I felt like I had to do my part. And I didn't want to go sit behind a desk. I wanted to go and I wanted to get in it. And that's what we did. So, Brian, fast forward. Here you are. You were in high school. You witnessed the towers fall and you said, I want to do my part. And you joined the Army knowing full well that the, you know, the dangers that existed and us going out there. You know, war is an interesting thing for young men because there is a romantic side of it. Uh, all the way up until the first bullets fly and really what, what hammers home the, the hardship of war is the first time you see someone injured or you see someone killed. And that brings the reality like a bat to the face. And, and so talk to me about that day when you guys were on patrol and you were exposed to your first IED and you watched guys injured. I sure. Mean, how did that change yeah. your mindset and how was that? How did that impact you? Well, there's one thing I forgot to tell you about the motivation uh, that I just remembered. Navy SEALs are the best? Well, there was that too. But no, I was, I was just checking. I was just checking. I thought that's <laughs> what checking. you were going to say. I was like, <laughs> good guess though. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I really didn't have a, a present father figure in my life growing up. And I didn't know it at the time, but probably, I'm 34 right now, probably five or six years ago, somehow I realized that one of my primary internal deep driving purposes for joining the military during a time of war is the fact that by the time I was 17, 18 years old, I didn't know what a real man was or if I was one. And for some, again, this was like subconscious at the time and something in me uh, demanded completion with that open loop. I needed to know that um, I had what it took to do things as a man does. And I didn't exactly know what that meant. I had to know that I was a man. And I figured at the very least, if I go to the military and go to war, that will make me a man. I don't even know where that came from. But looking back on it, that was a very strong internal driver 
uh, it was validation. It was something, it was a question I had to have answered uh, somehow. And I think a big danger we talked earlier, I won't go back to that conversation, but I think nowadays uh, here in America, there are way too many young men growing up without their question answered about, am I a man or what does it mean? And am I one? Yeah. I mean, I feel like there's a demasculinization of America that's happening. I mean, there's a lot of people that are like, Oh, you know, you, you should never fight. You should never do this. You, you know, men were built to be leaders and, and yeah. not, not knocking. I know some amazing women leaders too, but men were designed, oh. were designed differently. We're built differently. And it, sh and you should step up. You should do hard things. You should get out there and be physical. And that's one of the great things about the military. You don't have to serve in the military to find that, you know, leadership is leadership and you can step up and do that in any scenario. But man, I, I empathize with you. I felt the same way. And when you get into combat, you really want to know, hey, can do will I withstand the test? Will I withstand the fire when it comes? Yeah. Am I enough? Am I good enough? It, you know, is this going to happen? Um, but yeah, that first IED, it was a double stack of anti-tank mines buried in the road. We were up in the mountains of the Argandab province in eastern Afghanistan. Man, our back tire ran it over. Day, daytime, it nighttime? It was about 7 o'clock in the morning. Okay. It was a very small dirt road. We just left out from our OP. Um, where we'd staged the night prior, the our observation post where we were uh, for the prior night in our vehicles. And just, yeah, we just ran it over and uh, a bunch of smoke and dust went everywhere. And how how just, big was the explosion? How, where was it direct? Was the explosion directly in front of your vehicle or did it hit your vehicle? No, I was in the back seat in the lead vehicle. I was in the back seat on the driver's side. It went off underneath the back tire on the passenger side. So, it was underneath the other back seat where one of my guys was sitting. Oh, oh, so your vehicle though, it did hit your vehicle. Oh, it was my vehicle. Yeah. So what did that feel like? I mean, uh, for there's a lot of people out there that have never, ex you and I. I mean, I've been exposed to a lot of explosions, and it's it's tough to explain to someone that 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 it almost feels like your entire body is put into a vice for a second, like it pushes the air out of you. That That's split second before the actual sound of the explosion and the fire, because it's happening so fast, you know, it's pushing all the air out. I mean, any of you that ever seen movies with the nuclear blast, what knocks all the building downs is that that massive concussive. It's the wave of air that gets pushed out from the explosion. And it's no different in a smaller scale, still as equally destructive as something like an IED or anything else. So so you're driving yeah. along at seven o'clock. What did you feel and what were your thoughts in your mind when that happened? Um, a bunch of smoke and dust went everywhere. Everything, everything seemed really quiet. I don't remember hearing it. Uh, but when the vehicle landed, probably uh, eight, 10 feet away, I think it probably was from uh, where the explosion took place. Uh, I just remember thinking, uh, I think we just got blown up was my first thought. And I was looking around, I was kind of, I was looking around to see if everyone's okay, checking myself. It was, it's that moment when time stands still and you just sort of, you're trying to get your wits about you. And the thing's on fire. We can smell the smoke. It's getting hot. So, you know, we checked everybody. Are you good? Are you okay? My gunner was sitting next to me. He was standing in the turret, but he fell down into the turret. Um, and we said, finally, everyone get out, everyone get out, pull security. When I got out, I could hear the guy next to me who the the explosion went off underneath his seat. Um, he was gasping for air and trying to say something, but he's just kind of hunched forward. And I mean, it, it just, I mean, it directly nailed straight underneath his seat. 
And so I got out and I ran around the back and I opened the door and I said, Hey, come on, get out. Let's go. And just kind of sat there. Were you guys and, in uh, an armored Humvee? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Armored Humvee. And you know, this, this wasn't the, the guy, the kind of guy who's just going to sit there. Uh, he's a pretty, he's a pretty tough dude. And uh, when he just sat there, that was like real quick, very concerning because he wouldn't do that. And so I just grabbed him by the body armor, drug him out. Um, his legs are starting to catch on fire, but they didn't. Um, my squad leader, his door in the front passenger was uh, slant, was jammed shut by the blast. And so he had actually crawled through the back and got out through that door. Um, no follow-on ambush took place, thankfully, uh, which is typical. A lot of times they would blow up vehicles and fire machine guns and rockets into it and run. That did not happen. Uh, both those guys were medevaced um, within probably an hour or two, which is actually pretty good timing, a couple of hours. Um, we were about a day and a half from reinforcements by vehicle, probably, well, actually, yeah, two to three hours by, uh, by helicopter, which, you know, they, they came to get, uh, the guys who were wounded. So from that point forward, I know a lot of guys, you know, uh, I, I am super fortunate in all my time and I did a bunch of mobility operations and we, um, we came close to several IEDs. We had some blow up in front of us, but I, I never, uh, we never hit one. Um, although I know I was definitely sensitive to watching things. I mean, I was a mobility force commander, so I was constantly scanning the roads. I will never fit, forget one time I was, uh, in Northern, uh, on the North side of Fallujah, anybody that's been to the wonderful vacation spot of Fallujah, Iraq on the North side, there's an overpass that bring, goes by the uh, railroad tracks. And we were coming down that dirt road. And I remember I was in the turret. I happened to volunteer to go on a mission with some of our guys. It was a daytime mission. We normally operate at night. But uh, I, I, I said, yeah, I'll go, man. I'll, I'll run the turret. So I'm in the turret and I'm scanning the road. And all of a sudden, at the last second, I saw like a metal band across the road. And dude, I, it, it happened so fast. I didn't even have time to get it out of my mouth as we ran yeah. over it. And I just remember my entire body tensing up thinking this is it. And, and thank God, whether, for it. yeah, whether it was there or not, um, you know, it didn't happen. We didn't set it off or it wasn't one, but how did that wow. impact you did, for, did you start, you know, getting a little bit of the flinch factor, uh, after that first IED? You know, honestly, it didn't like, we were always watching. And so it was just kind of like, well, we keep watching. Like we always watch. I'll tell you what, really after a number of different incidents and different things over, over the months I was there really in my own mind i just i came to this this conclusion like i'm gonna do the best i can obviously we all are but if it's my time there's nothing i can do to dodge it and it doesn't matter how good the guy next to me is like if i'm gonna go it's it's gonna happen and there's no way for me to escape that like that was like a very bottom line primal survival mindset now that wasn't you know nobody wanted obviously you're doing everything you can to survive but there was a just a certain weirdness of, you know, I can't escape this this thing called death if it's going to happen. And with that came, I don't mean I don't want to say careless in the sense of you know not being you know careful, but there was a part of me that kind of let go. Um, you know, if you're if you're too afraid of something, you're frozen. If you're too careless, you're just kind of stupid, and you're gonna get what you have coming. But it's the in between where it's like you know you're 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 extremely careful as you can be and tactical and everything but you have a party that just kind of has to ease up on the on the grip a little bit 
when it comes to what could possibly happen, knowing that you can't entirely control that. And there's a there's a weird medium, it seems like, in between, where I think that's where people probably are at their optimal level, especially in a in a in a in a situation like that. Yeah, I agree, and I think the. I mean, uh, every mission I went out on, I kind of have my little uh, sequence or my uh, routine. And as I walked out the door, I just resigned myself that uh, I may never be back. This may be it. Yeah, you leave the five on the vehicle and you're like, I might not come back through these gates. Yep. And I stopped. I stopped thinking about my my family. I stopped all of that yeah. stuff. I checked it and and just focused on the mission. And one of the greatest things That's right. I hear it a lot, and I think it I think it applies in anything you do in life. Action is the solution. So movement is life. So by continuing to move, by continuing to think, by taking action, it, it keeps you going. A lot of people would ask me, "Man, you were in some intense firefights. You know, were you ever afraid?" Well, no, because I was focused on the job at hand. I was focused on all the things that needed to be done. And I think that is true in life, also. You know, if people get caught up in the fear and in the anxiety and you know the overwhelming state they're in then you're going to get pinned on that X. But if you push through that fear and anxiety and you think, okay, what are my next steps? It makes all the difference. And it sounds like that's exactly, you know, what you were doing. And I think all of us as uh, soldiers and warriors have been trained to do. Yeah. You know, what, what you focus on and think about tends to expand in life. And, you know, you get real careful about what you let consume your thoughts when you realize that. Um, not just in combat. I mean, there were certain times I got frustrated. Uh, two or three times I got frustrated and said something like, man, if we go down this road again, like we're going to hit an IED. Like, like we kept going back and forth to the Pakistan border uh, and nobody had been down there. Like, I don't think Americans had been yet. And so now they knew we were there. We're going back and forth. And for those that don't know, you know, any of our, anybody that doesn't know, Pakistan, it was like the Afghani Disney world, you know, a lot of fun. Yeah. You know, oh, wait, no, that's not quite it. So, no, <laughs> no, it's actually where the Taliban would hide out and have their safe haven, then cross the border and come fight. But, but in a lot of ways, but you know, we go back and down, up and down that road. First time it would have surprised them. But when you go up and down that same road four or five times, it's like an hour and a half, two hours more and more. It's like, man, they know where. And man, sure enough, on my way back, sun was setting, which is usually when they want to ambush. We could see the lights of the fob about two miles ahead of us. And suddenly we saw a green star cluster shoot up in the air. And that's what Taliban used to signal each other. What, what, hold on. What, what is a green star cluster? It's an explosive that you shoot up in the air. Like you'll see it on boats. They'll shoot a flare okay. up into the air. Yeah, it's but like it, a it's, green it flare, okay. kind of like a little firework. So, so like on, on that occasion, we were like a mile and a half out from that, from Fob Sweeney is what it was called, actually. and. Uh, the second vehicle in our convoy, the one in front of me, hit hit the IED, and uh, like there were certain things like that where I said it and like, holy crap, it happened. So I shut, I stopped talking real fast about things like that. You know, just when you get frustrated, frustrated. I, I didn't jump yeah. to it, but man, I I started realizing how real things are, and, and the more I age, every year I age, I realize like the things I think and say, like I tend to see them more and more. It's a weird thing. So I'm very careful about that. And anybody listening, I mean, be very careful what you say during your own battles. You know, oh, I'll never get through this or this will never get better or I can't take this anymore. Or especially the type of I am statements. I, I'm so stupid or I'm so this like 
you have no idea how much influence and power that has on the core of who you are. Yeah. Whether it's good or bad, it's indif- your mind is indifferent. It'll, it'll, it'll obey what you tell it. Yeah. It's neuralistic programming. So yeah, if you're feeding negativity in your mind, you're going to believe it. And if you're pushing positivity, yeah, I agree. So and part of resilience is realizing that and adjusting yourself in the moment on the spot. And it doesn't mean that it's, that it's not going to happen, man. I mean, you know, sure, sure. I, I, I have negative I thoughts all the, all the time and then I, I, I turn it off. I try and push through it and I just go, that is not true. That's a bunch of bullshit. You know, mm-hmm. dude, get past that. Let's go. Get off the axe. Let's move. So, and sometimes it takes having a battle buddy or a few battle buddies who you allow, you give them the opportunity and the right to speak into your life. Some people won't tell you what you need to hear because they're afraid of you or they go, oh, he can't, he won't take correction. Yeah. And it's to your own demise. But when you give people permission to help you course correct, because we're all going to get off course when you do that, man, that can, that can be, you know, a, a, a lifesaver. Yeah. Building that fire team. It's true. So let's, let's jump forward to this pivotal moment in your life when you became blown up guy. <laughs> I mean, uh, <laughs> I've seen pictures, you know, you're definitely, man, you're all fragged up and uh, your skin is burned. So walk us through that day and what happened. And, and then, you know, what, what I'd like to know is how did that, how did that change you? How did that change your mindset? I know you said it earlier. I say it a lot, but you know, my injuries, um, they were one of the best things that ever happened to me. And, and I know so many wounded warriors believe that. So walk us through that day and how that fundamentally changed you and, and even your family. Yeah. So I was, uh, we were two miles, two miles from the, the main gate to Kandahar airfield, which was our final destination. I was the truck commander in the lead vehicle of about a 15 vehicle convoy. I was going there because I was in the process of reclassing from infantry to EOD. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, you, know yeah, you know, I mean, I just yeah. got, so for the those irony, that don't know. know, basically infantry is our guys that take the fight directly to the enemy. And EOD stands for explosive ordnance disposalman. So it's their job to defuse bombs. So I know that there are some of you out there that are like, Jay, how could you laugh at that? But you have to laugh at the irony that you were the getting irony, ready was, yeah. to be an EOD guy and you get blown up. Yeah, I got blown up on the way. So I always say, it's like God's way of saying, Brian, that's not what you're supposed to do. <laughs> not that God did it or anything, but you know. But it's like, well, hey, here's your sign. So yeah, so we're driving along and we're almost there. And a minivan pulls out in front of us, going very slow. My driver passes him on the left, so I'm in the front passenger seat. As we're passing him, I can pretty much reach out my window and almost touch his window. And as we got right up next to him, passing him in the left lane, you know, that's when the whole explosion happened. And the suicide bomber, he blew his minivan and himself into about 10,000 pieces right there in the street. It was about lunchtime on July 24th of 06. I uh, woke up in a ditch on the side of the road. I have no idea where I was. My helmet was gone. I couldn't find my weapon. I had blood pouring out of my face. How wow. far do you think that was? I mean, you probably know. How far was that from the initial impact point when you got blown out of the vehicle? Um, well, the vehicle was about 60 or 70 feet um, from the blast site because we were way, we got blown straight off the road. Wow. Um, the first thing I remember is just waking up and I was right outside my door. And wow. I was just, I, I didn't remember if we, I thought to myself, like, why am I laying here? I didn't remember laying there. I thought maybe we're in a firefight. It was weird like, waking up there and not remembering laying down there. And it took me a minute to kind of get my wits about me. The vehicle was on fire. Um, it actually turned out my driver 
who was a medic that came in real handy. He actually, when I was unconscious, I had phosphorus on my door that was eating through the armor or, you know, so he couldn't get me out that way. He actually drug me through the vehicle and um, out his door. Couldn't find out. So I wasn't right outside my door. I was outside his and he saved my life that day. He pulled my gunner out of there and called in the nine line medevac. Got the, the, the bird was there in like 30 minutes. Now I, we were only two miles away, but that's good timing. Uh, if you've ever had to call in a medevac, um, for yeah, getting man. them on site to get us. So, yeah, so here you are. I mean, do you remember when they picked you up? Were you on con? Did you pass out when they took you to that, that medevac flight back to, uh, did they take you to Kandahar or did they take you yeah. to Bagram? No, Kandahar. Okay. Um, and yeah, I was, I was conscious from the point that I woke up on the side of the road. Uh, from that point forward, I was totally conscious and I was totally aware, you know, it was 127 degrees outside, second degree burn on my face and neck, which is now healed third degree burns on both my hands uh, about five or 10 minutes after I woke up, the adrenaline died down and man, it hurt because I could feel now, you know, the burns that hot, you know, the, my interpreter came over and he took off a piece of his garb, you know, those big robes they wear. And he actually held it over me and shielded me from the sun. And it, it almost felt like half of my pain went away when he did that. Wow. It's, man, I tell you what, for all our guys out there that have been blown up and burned, I mean, I just, I, I, it is such a, I, I don't know. I just know from talking to guys, talking to guys like Mike Schlitz, uh, Shiloh yeah, Harris. Um, I mean, guys that have that. been burned so badly. Crispy uh, got it good. Oh yeah. Crispy, crispy 11 mm -hmm. Bravo out there. You guys that have been burned, man, my hat's off to you. You know, and, and I know a lot of those guys and, you know, they were like 60, 70, 80 plus percent. I only turned out to be like somewhere in between 10 or 15. And like, I know what my experience was like, man, I can't imagine what those guys' experience was, because for some of them, it was the chest, the back, the face, arms. I mean, just that'd just be beyond horrific, beyond what I, even I can think. Yeah, one of one of our fellow speakers in uh, Eagle Rise, uh, Jason Sheckerly, he's a police officer that uh, his car blew up. He was hit from behind at like 100 miles an hour at a stoplight, and the car wow. blew up, and his entire body was severely burned. And uh, yeah, I just can't imagine. You talk about resilience. I mean, that is resilience. Well, you want to you know the truth, too? A lot of people ask me, they say, Brian, how did you get through that? The most plain answer I can give you is that I didn't die. And I couldn't really use my hands. So even if I wanted to kill myself, I really couldn't at that point. But I survived. I didn't die. And I just had to deal with it moment by moment. And that that's what, it, that's what resilience is. And it's not that I was born with some uncommon level of resilience i don't believe that um but i didn't die so i just had to deal with it and you adapt to things you adapt and overcome there, there was a saying in the seal teams not dead can't quit so yeah you know i mean if you could adopt that mindset and and, and the thing is so many people think that oh my god i gotta make these giant gains i gotta get up and run away no man sometimes it's literally a, a nanometer of of um success it's and, your next step yeah take your next step all right, man. So did they send you home after you were blown up? Yeah. Within three days, I was at Brook Army Medical Center in San Antonio, uh, where I remained for 14 months for a lot of inpatient, outpatient treatment, sur reconstructive surgery. You were married then? Yeah. My wife, Jamie, and I got married three months before I went to Afghanistan. So what I want to know is when you were flying home, you were like, dude, I cannot wait to go through EOD school. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking... 
they probably won't let me go through any of these schools. Yeah, exactly. I got that little P3 on my profile. You you were automatically disqualified. They were like, oh, yeah, we already know you. No, sorry, bro. But Yeah, who knows? Yeah, I've met your lovely wife, Jamie. She is amazing, and it's one of the big things that we've talked about often on this show, and we've we've already hit on it several times, how critical it is with resilience to surround yourself with the right teams of people to help you, to have that external support. So how much did family play a part in in, in your strength? I mean, you came home, and uh, and obviously Jamie was there. How did she help you through that? And what, would you, what advice would you give to other people out there, how to build those teams? And, and how to build relationships, because I know how hard it is to go through those things with a spouse. But how did you guys do it? And what could you tell others out there how to build them? I'd say realize the other person, the other person is also fighting their own war, you know, especially military spouses. They're fighting war while you're gone. And then you come back and things are a little bit different or a lot different, depending. Uh, they've had to fight their own war. And now you've got two people who have changed and they've been separate from each other. And now they're having to reintegrate and get along and integrate again. And there's friction there. That's an obvious thing. Um, when I got to the hospital, they wheeled me in. And my wife was standing right there. My face was all bloody, nasty, all kinds of stuff oozing out of it. And she kissed me on my burned, bloody, charred lips. And I told her she didn't have to. I said, this is gross. You showed up. I know you're not going anywhere. Thank you. You don't have to do this. And she had my blood on her lips. And... uh you know, she stuck around and um, we've been married over 13 years now with two kids. And, you know, the biggest thing, I'm a good apologizer. I'm a good apologizer if I'm wrong. If I wasn't wrong, you're going to have to shoot me to say I did something I didn't do. It's not happened. But the thing is, I think one of the biggest things for me that has saved so much, not just in my marriage, but even in my professional career, is if something goes wrong, if there's an argument, a misunderstanding, if I can get outside of that, and I'll look at it objectively. If I was actually the one in the wrong or the one who caused something, I'm the first one to step forward and go, I was wrong right there. And you know what? You would be amazed at how fast that other person's guard comes down when you own your own stuff because they don't want to have to defend. Now, I don't do that in the middle of the argument. Usually, let, let the fire settle, the smoke settle, come back an hour or two later, ride my motorcycle and cool off and come back or something. Um, but if I was wrong, I own it. And that has saved me more grief in so many ways than I can tell you. So you've learned to be a man because it takes a man to, to really say when they're wrong. Dude, you own yeah. it. Dude, yeah, you own it. And if you're you right. don't, it just gets worse. Look at yeah. that sage advice from Ryan. Oh, it's something it. I've learned in my own travels through life. Yeah. When you own it, man, it really diffuses things. How many divorces does it take before you realize, you know, she wasn't the problem? You know, I know guys yeah. divorced four or five times and go, oh yeah, she just was this. And it's like my buddy Chris Widener says, he said, buddy, four ex-wives can't be wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Rob, Rob Disney is a uh, retired Air Force TACP and a great friend of mine. Rob was uh, also shot in the face like I was. He was in a lot of harrowing incidents and retired mm -hmm. as an E-9. Amazing career. And we were talking one time and he said, you know, man, as I got later in my career, I came to realize the most powerful words in leadership I could say is, you're right. I apologize. You're right. And he said so many times, you know, we'd be doing something and some leader would come in and he'd be mad at something that had happened. And he was and I didn't even have anything to do with it. But I would just yeah. look at him and I'd say, you know what, sir, you're right. I apologize. He said it immediately diffused the situation. I'd figure out what happened and I'd go fix it. And everybody loved me for it. He's like, I didn't have anything to do with it. 
But just by owning yeah. it and accepting, you know, you take the wind out of the sails of somebody else, you diffuse the situation, and it works in marriage. They trust you more because they know if, if you're wrong, you'll call yourself on it. Nobody does that. Yeah. I mean, it's like when I give these talks to colleges and young people about leadership, or even in, in the, the corporations I speak to, I always tell them, what's the first rule with leadership? And all of them raise their hands, you know, be nice. All the, they have all the, all the textbook answers about leadership. You know what I tell them? The number one first rule of leadership is everything is your fault. Yeah. And it is. Yeah. Everything's your fault. When it works, you've got to give the credit away. And when it goes wrong, you've got to take all of it on yourself. And if you don't own it in that moment, people won't trust you. But if you do own it, everything is starting to look better from there. Yeah, man. Nope. I love that. And that's absolutely key. All right. Well, listen, uh, our last question we always like to ask on the show, and we're going we're gonna to wrap some things up here in a few minutes. We want to give you an opportunity, obviously, to highlight all the amazing things you're doing and where people can find you. But if you could give our listeners out there three pieces of advice that they could take into their lives right now and make some positive changes, what would they be? Resilience, in my experience, not just personal experience, but what I've seen through my friends like you and so many others and people I've studied throughout history who are extremely resilient. I say that the most resilient people in the world all foundationally tend to have at least these three things in common. One is they have a strong sense of meaning in their suffering and what they're going through. Even if they don't know what that meaning is, they're looking for it. And if they are suffering for a cause greater than themselves, then that gives them a lot of grit. So there's meaning. They have good mentors in their lives. This is like your chain of command. People above you, people beside you, people below you. Real easy concept. But most people don't tend to have that in their personal lives. And they wonder why things fall apart. We, we kind of touched on that. And then the mission is the third piece. So it's meaning, mentors, and a mission. They have a, a mission greater than themselves that they're living for. Have you ever noticed that people who commit suicide... They don't do it if they have something greater than themselves they're living for and that they have a, a sense of meaning in life and they have good people around them. People don't, don't make decisions like that when they still have something to live for. I've not met one person who hasn't been able to overcome something extremely tough or tragic who had a sense of meaning, good people around them, and some sort of mission greater than them that exceeds them as greater than themselves and their own personal glory or gain. Those are three foundational things. That's the core of resilience as I, as I explain it when I talk and when I write my books. All right. I agree. Let's, uh, Hey, give everybody, uh, let everybody know where they can find you. Obviously you're working with us, Eagle Rise speakers, but, uh, you are out there. You're delivering an amazing message. Tell everybody where they can find you. If they want to learn more, if they want to follow you on the social media platforms, give them the numbers and digits. Yeah. If you want to have me speak, just go through Eagle Rise speakers bureau. There's probably a link here in the show notes, um, uh, definitely just go through them. Um, if you want a copy of my newest book, it's called The Resilience Booklet. It's how extreme survivors overcome massive challenges. It's only 62 pages long. I did that so the Marines can enjoy it too. And uh, kidding, <laughs> are, there, are, there, kidding. are there pictures and uh, is nope. it a pop-up book? <laughs> yeah, it, it's either that or the crayon question. Uh, there are no edibles with this book, so no crayons. Uh, but um, no, seriously. I took I, I took all the lessons I learned from myself, from other people, through my study, and I condensed it down into a bunch of really powerful nuggets in a book this short, because I'd like to be able to finish a book. 
I'm not a 500 page novel kind of guy. If I fly to LA from Dallas, I'd like to get through something. And so this is something that's highly practical to people's lives that they can actually get through and use as cargo pocket edition, the size of a cargo pocket. And you can find that at resiliencebooklet.com. In fact, if you go to resiliencebooklet.com and get it, I'm going to give it to you for free. I just need you to cover a $7 flat shipping rate that covers cost and postage envelopes, but the book itself is free. Plus, you get the audiobook, you get the ebook, you get a 10 video video series, and two other things I'm not going to tell you about all with that. And the rest of those bonuses, those all go immediately to your email. So these are things you can immediately look at very simply, quickly, and start applying to your life and the battle that you're facing. And where do they go to get that one more time, Brian? It's resiliencebooklet.com. All right. And the book is called The Resilience Booklet. It's about how extreme survivors overcome massive challenges. I also think you just admitted that he hasn't read your book, uh, Jay, The Trident. I, I don't know how many pages your book is, but I know it's. I don't. It's not thicker. 500 pages. I've read it. Is it? It's I, it's, it might be. It may be 400. Books, but I do find a lot of people they won't get through them, or they'll read the first couple of chapters and they they fall off and they go, "Yeah, I never got through it." Yeah. I, I really with this one, I wanted people to actually get it all, and so I figured there's no excuse if it's 60 pages and it's you know a little bit big, you know about the size of my hand. Yeah, and I mean, if you're looking for help to, everybody's looking for a little motivation and inspiration to build that resilience. So absolutely, go oh, check that out with the, Brian. Yeah, by the way, you want to talk inspiration? There's a story at the end of the book. It's on the last page. I went back to Afghanistan a few years after my injury and something happened on the way back that completely changed my life. Just when I thought everything was already as good as it could be, something else happened that just sweetened my life in a way that's supernatural not to be uber weird but it, it was life-changing and it's it's the last chapter of the book that's mm -hmm. awesome all right so now you guys got a little bit of a teaser to go check out brian's book so all right man well this has been the jr overcome show episode 15 i want to thank all of you for tuning in we got to do our two minutes of motivation we're going to kick that off but i just want to ask you guys if you love this show do me a huge favor whatever platform you're watching it on and and or listening to it on and we know the vast majority of you out there listen to it on itunes please subscribe to the show and leave us a five-star review tell us why you like it love it you know, just uh, help us spread the word about the show. Have on more amazing guests like blown up guy himself, Mr. Brian Fleming. All right, we're going to wrap things up like we always do, do with our two minutes of motivation. So the word of the day is resilience. Resilience is the essence of my word, the overcome mindset. It is all about just being tough, gritty, tenacious, and driving through these hard moments that all of us encounter in life. I don't care who you are. We all walk through the battlefield of life and there are going to be explosions. There are going to be ambushes. There are going to be gunshots that come along and they're going to hit you and they're going to hurt. And where they're going to hurt the most is emotionally and mentally. It is amazing that no matter what physical injuries we sustain, it is the mental and the emotional that have the biggest toll. It is the little demon that lives inside you that tries to tell you, you can't drive forward. You can't do this. Ignore that. It is resilience that will build it. Build that mindset. Get your word. Raise word is conquered. My word is overcome. You get off the X and go. Brian, I know you know about this. So kick it off, my friend. Man, resilience just really comes down, like you said, the, the mindset. Resilience, the mindset, you're expecting things to go wrong in life because they're going to. You didn't always do something wrong. 
Sometimes he did, and you got to live with the consequences. But sometimes bad things just happen. And that comes down to having a sense of meaning in your life and a reason to fight through it, having good people around you and something bigger than you that you're fighting for. You will do things for other people that you will not do for yourself. In tough situations, as crazy as that sounds, people will give up on themselves far faster than they will on their kids or someone they deeply care about. So resilience is not just your ability to bounce back, but to choose while you're walking through fire to keep walking, knowing that the hands of time will always continue to turn and that no season lasts forever. It would be unnatural. It can't happen. If you're in a dark winter right now where things are dead in your life, the next spring, the next season that comes is spring. That's where things become alive again and they're not so as dead and horrible. All right, so anything you're going through, you can make it through if you choose to. But again, you're not going to do it by yourself. You know, Lone Ranger is a dead ranger. And so get those people around you. Get other people's advice. Get people to help support you and support them. Have community. Uh, have something bigger than yourself you're living for. And find something that gives you a deep sense of meaning in life worth living for. Boom. I love it. All right, man. Well, listen up. I want to thank everybody for tuning in. Mr. United States Army, Brian Fleming, blown up guy himself. Thank you, brother, for being on the show and sharing your stories, your experience, your wisdom. This has been the JR Overcome Show, episode 15. I want to thank everybody for being on. I am Jason Overcome Redmond, and we do not have Ray Cash Care, but we are out. Boom. Ray does boom. I did it for Ray. Thanks for listening to the JR Overcome Show. Tune in next time and please remember to subscribe on iTunes and SoundCloud. Please visit jrovercomeshow.com. Hey, this is Ray Cash Care. Thanks for listening to the JR Overcome Show. If you love the show, ladies and gentlemen, we would love for you to do us a huge favor. Go to iTunes, subscribe, leave a five-star message, leave a comment, and share with your friends. Boom!